ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. This is the NT Country Hour on ABC Radio Darwin and the Northern Territory. G'day there, my name's Matt Brand. Welcome to the program. Today you'll get to hear from Paul Burke, who is the new chair of the Northern Territory's Pastoral Land Board. And before 1.30, a look at why Australia's food safety regulator is cracking down on the term no added sugar. Many of these packaged foods and drinks carrying these claims currently actually are high in sugar, which is linked to dental problems as well as diet-related health problems. Yep, the term no added sugar is getting put in the bin. I'll tell you more about this on the Country Hour today. But first to the big, big story this afternoon. The ABC understands that the Northern Territory's Chief Minister, Natasha Files, is set to resign. I'm joined in the studio by Thomas Morgan from the newsroom. What has happened? Yeah, well, good afternoon, Matt. We do understand, of course, that the Chief Minister, from multiple sources, that the Chief Minister will hold a press conference this afternoon where she is expected to announce her retirement. That's only, what well, her um, stepping down from the leadership of the, Labor, of the Territory Labor Party. So um, a big step that she's taking this afternoon after some pretty uh, damaging news that uh, she owned around $2,000 worth of shares in mining company South 32, of course, the operator and owner of uh, the uh, Gemco mine on Groot Island, uh, um, and obviously that has had ramifications for her in terms of a perception of a conflict of interest. So, And this um, is off the back of the controversy around owning Woodside shares. Yeah, of course she owned um, and she uh, divested $5,000 worth of Woodside shares and uh, obviously Woodside had um, some small involvement with um, with the Middle Arm and uh, Sustainable Development Precinct in Darwin Harbour um, and of course Files has been a big uh, proponent of that going ahead. Um, she labelled the issue a distraction when she divested those shares um, and now uh, pretty remarkable revelations yesterday made that, that have been confirmed by the ABC that she now owns $2,000 worth of shares in this other company, South 32, which um, as health minister earlier this year, she um, she said no to an investigation into the potential health impacts of that manganese mine on Groot Island. So um, it, has, uh, it has been a very damaging scandal for her. And um, by all accounts, it seems likely that she will be uh, stepping down this afternoon. Okay. Any word on who may replace her? as Chief Minister of the Territory? Uh, it's it's one of those things where I don't think anyone wants to put their hand up uh, before, of course, she fully steps down, but um, there have been names bandied around. At this stage, it's just too soon to tell, and um, you know, eyes will be on, on certain people, but um, you'd have to wait and see. Okay, thank you very much for keeping us up to date. I've been told by the big bosses upstairs that when... Natasha Foles does step up to the microphone this afternoon. It will be broadcast here on the ABC. So we wait. We wait. Now, Naish Gorn, who is from the Environment Centre NT, he was on ABC Radio earlier today, and he said when Natasha Foles was Health Minister and these health concerns were raised by the Groot Island community concerned by dust that was coming off that manganese mine owned by South 32, the fact that the minister and the government did nothing was a great injustice. So it was revealed by your media organisation, ABC, that there might be high levels of exposure to manganese dust. And we've had some kind of ad hoc findings over the years, including from air satellite readings, that the fine particulate matter, which is very small dust particles of manganese over Groot Island, are extremely high. And 
I think the point here, though, is that it's a great injustice that it wasn't investigated further. These, this is people living, you know, right next door to an open cut manganese mine, the largest in the world, who are being exposed to extraordinary level, extraordinarily high levels of manganese dust, and they have a right to have information about what are the impacts of those activities on their health. And you know, you just can't imagine this happening in a major city or a major town. And we really have to ask why is it happening here that people are being denied this level of justice and then mitigation of the impacts of that exposure. Well, it's now been revealed that Natasha Files um, has holds undisclosed shares in South 32 Gemco. Do you think that's uh, a problem? Yeah, what are your thoughts on that, Naish? So I think that the decision not to investigate further the health impacts is one that rests with you know, multiple decision makers and it's really disappointing. It's of course deeply concerning that this has come out now that the health minister at the time had shares in the mining company and it does you know, raise a whole series of questions which I'm sure your viewers are asking as well. But in general, the systematic way that interests of mining companies and the extractive industries are prioritised over the well-being of communities. It's a problem that we've been talking about for a really long time at the Environment Centre. That is Nash Gorn, who is from the Environment Centre NT on ABC Radio. This morning, if you're tuning in, the big news for the Territory is that the ABC understands Chief Minister Natasha Files will resign today. It's expected she will hold a press conference in the next hour or so. And I've been told that the ABC will be bringing you that press conference live on radio. It is 25 to 1. The text number here at the Country Hour is 0487 991057. A message here that says, I feel sorry for Natasha. She has been under constant assault for a very long time. Not that I support all anti-government policies. Crimes out of control. Police morale is in the gutter. Frontline health and care staff are completely drained and exhausted. And the anti-economy is stagnating with squeaky wheel anti-development and ill-informed lobby groups unnecessarily hobbling development approvals and government not backing environmentally sound developments. Sigh, says someone here on 0487991057. Another message from Steve. It says, I was so into this woman and, and I'm very, very pissed off, but can't stop feeling empathy for Natasha Files. Please, Natasha, don't go and work for a mining company, says Steve. And someone in the do is wondering if she'll announce it after lunch, coming out from the do pub. I don't think Natasha Files is at the Humpty Doo pub. I've been told she's just stepped off a plane. Humpty Doo pub be a good spot to be this afternoon, though. I'll tell you that for free. Uh, 23 to 1, you are tuned into the Country Hour. With the ABC Listen app, you can take the cricket with you anywhere you go. Off to the beach. Take the cricket. Road trip. Take the cricket. Museum visit. Shh, take the cricket. Seriously? You want to listen? (laughs) ABC Sports, expert coverage of every test. Big shout, he's out. One day up. Australia celebrating. And T20. Over the rope for another six. Live and commercial free. So whatever you're up to this summer, take the cricket with you and listen big on the ABC Listen app. It is big news, isn't it, this afternoon? Natasha Files, the Chief Minister, set to resign. I doubt she's at the Humpty Doo pub, but I'm now intrigued from that text that we've just received. Uh, you can join the conversation this afternoon, 0487 
1057. The Chief Minister looks set to resign after it was revealed that she held shares in the company South 32, which owns the world's largest manganese mine there on Groot Island. Those shares, which were not disclosed, 754 of them worth under $2,500. I was just looking at the South 32 share price a moment ago. Uh, as we go to air this afternoon, shares in South 32 are up slightly. Year to date, it hasn't been a great stock. Shares in South 32 have fallen by 17.39%. Up next on the Country Hour, you are going to hear from Paul Burke. Now, he is the new chair of the Pastoral Land Board. I'll say it now, I interviewed Paul well before all of this news about Natasha Files uh, came to the front. But he is in a very interesting job. It looks set to be a very interesting year in 2024 for the Pastoral Land Board. Paul Burke, on your radio next. G'day, I'm Jermaine. G'day, I'm Caleb. And we're from Territory Bees. We're out here in Darwin's rural area attending to some hives and you're listening to The Country Hour. Matt Brown with you this afternoon for The Country Hour. The Northern Territory's Pastoral Land Board has a new chairman with Paul Burke replacing Julie Ross, who's been in that role since 2019. Now, Paul is, of course, the former chief executive of the NT Farmers Association, He's a former chief executive of the NT Cattlemen's Association and he currently has a few different jobs, including being on the board of the ASX-listed Duxton Farms. So he's keeping busy. I caught up with Paul and asked him to explain what the Pastoral Land Board is and what it does. Thanks, Matt. So the Pastoral Land Board um, is a statutory body and a lot of the decisions from... Um, the minister responsible, which is the Minister for Environment, is deferred back to the Pastoral Land Board. So the Pastoral Land Board oversees the Pastoral Land Act. Um, it makes decisions around land clearing um, and land development, as well as the condition of land. So we, we, we're responsible for ensuring that the pastoral leases uh, are maintained to a high level um, and supporting the pastoral industry to do that through you know, robust um, inspections on an annual basis. Yeah, each year the board goes and randomly selects a station and knocks on the door and checks it out, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Um, so we have a program where we, we inspect about 10% of the pastoral estate every year. Right. So we have officers going out and looking at the land condition, um, looking at the terms of the lease and making sure our leaseholders are working um, in the best interests of, of the estate. And we also then, the pastoral land board itself, will visit multiple stations throughout the year um, and you know this year we're going to try and get down to Alice Springs and I think that's really important um, in that Barclay and Alice area that's had a really tough time with fires and 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 you know just go down and, and show a bit of support and have a look around and so we understand in our head what what's happening on that pastoral estate and I think that's really important. Has the PLB ever gone to a station and concluded that the people running it are not doing the right thing by the rangelands? Has that ever occurred? Oh, not in my knowledge, Matt. I yeah. think you know, ninety nine percent of of the pastoral sector do a fantastic job across a really broad landscape, and it's really complex. The 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 rangeland systems up here, and and in a lot of cases, they've been on those properties for generations, and they actually understand the country better than anyone. And and 
it's in their best interest to look after it because at the end of the day, that's where their revenue is coming from. If a cattle property wants to clear some land, can you explain to us how the Pastoral Land Board fits into all of that? Yeah, sure. It, it basically, there's an application process and there's a framework online and, and the guidelines are there and, and the Act's there, so they need to comply with those. And, and, and generally, people are using consultants to actually go out and um, write those applications and ensure that they're of a suitable quality. It then goes through a pretty robust process through the department um, and then goes on to what's called NVAP, which is the Native Vegetation Assessment Panel, that make a recommendation. Um, and then it's published um, on, on, online, um, seeking comments from any interested, interested parties. Um, the Pastoral Land Board then considers all of those reports, um, all of those potential objections, um, and, and validates them through a process to ultimately um, either accept um, or approve a land clearing application or deny it. And is that the final decision then? Um, w- with the decision-making process, and we're really working through making sure that decision process is is a, as robust, um, as transparent and as accountable as it can be, so it's not appealable. But there is always um, an appeals process in any right. decision. Um, and the, the role of the, tra- the Pastoral Land Board is to try and make sure that, that our decision... Is, is not appealable because we, we really need to de-risk um, those investments and make sure when we make a decision, it is a final decision. Uh, from what I can tell from the department's website, there's about 12 applications sitting on your desk at the moment seeking approval to clear over 30,000 hectares when you add it all up. Uh, 12 on the desk, is that a lot? Um, and, and some of them have been there for a while. So what's happening? So in a lot of those cases, there are applications that are sitting there that, that people have, may have decided that that they're going to change their application or, or, or look at different parcels of land or there's a range of reasons they're sitting there. Um, in... in in general terms, it takes between six and 12 months to get through the process. So um, any that are sitting in there that, that were probably lodged um, at the beginning of this year or late last year will be nearing the end of that process. So um, I would expect that um, out of those, there'll be probably half will come up in front of the pastoral land board early next year or, or through the middle of next year. Some of those are, are quite small, some of them for tourism pursuits. Yeah. Um, so there are a range of them within the pastoral land board remit at the moment. In terms of actual crops, what are most people looking at at the moment? I think most people are looking at fodder crops, so a range of grass hays, um, sorghums, um, those type of things, and they're to complement their pastoral um, operation and, and you know, fr- from that perspective, um, give them some surety. We, we're heading into um, uncharted times with, with potential drier periods in front of them. So so trying to set their business up to be able to be more self-sufficient and, and when those dry times come, to actually have hay in the shed that they don't have to transport from, from somewhere else. So, are, are there any big applications to the PLB at the moment to grow cotton? Uh, none. none. None at all. So, And why do you think that is? Well, I think um, the cotton industry, to a certain extent, has evolved from existing operators that 
that have probably um, exp- had some experience in fodder production um, and are looking at taking that next step and utilising land that was developed previously. So we're not seeing um, uh, land clearing permits at the moment come through. The, the, the sole purpose is cotton. We're just not seeing it. Yeah. Are you expecting that to change? Like now that there's a cotton gin built near Catherine, are you expecting that to change? Um, I don't think it'll significantly change. I think uh, there is... Um, a lot of interest in cotton, and, and it's quite polarising at times. But um, I think you know people are taking a fairly balanced approach, and you know th- the average amount of land um, across the the fourteen or fifteen growers of cotton at the moment is probably only about four hundred and fifty five hundred hectares. So they're not large parcels of land um, as individuals, um, and most of those are on small family farms. And what's your view on whether a cattle station needs a non pastoral use permit to grow cotton or not? Um, it's an interesting question, and, and I think um, at the moment it's quite clear that, that whilst it's not the, the, the main use of resource, the main use of land mass, um, that, that it doesn't take the main use of manpower, then it probably doesn't require a, a pastoral land permit. If you're tuning in, this is the Country Hour, and we're speaking to Paul Burke, who is the new chairman of the Territory's Pastoral Land Board. Paul, in terms of the board. Can you give us a sense on, on who's on it? It's a really dynamic board. Um, there is some, some really well-qualified people and, and the makeup of the board has received a bit of attention in recent times, but hmm. it's a pretty diverse board. There's, there's um, three ex-pastoralists or people that, that have got significant pastoral experience and that, and that's really critical for us um, we need that experience at a, around the board table um, there are a couple of rangeland scientists and, and again really critical to understand um, how, how the pastoral sector interacts with, with the broader environment um, there is a, a previous chief executive of the Department of Environment um, there's a, a lawyer um, and there's someone that, that was the chief vet um, so all of those skills are really important. And I think when you look at the entire board, it's a really diverse board. Um, and, and we're able to have some pretty robust conversations around a board table. And, and I think that that's really important. And I think that's what people want to see is that robust decision-making process um, taking in a range of views. Because perhaps more than ever, the decisions of the PLB are coming under a lot of scrutiny. So... As chair, like, how important is it to have any decisions locked tight and, and, and really reduce the ability to appeal? It's, it's a great question, Matt, and, and, and we need to make sure that, that our decision-making processes are beyond the reproach. We need to make sure that we are considering uh, the cultural values, that we are considering the environmental values, we're considering the economic outputs, um, and we, we need to consider that those together and collectively and you know as part of that process there is an exhibition period where where pastoral land board or clearing applications for example go out for public comment so all of that public comment the board needs to consider as part of their decision making process so it's really important that that we do that thoroughly we document it well um, and then when we make a decision we actually ensure that that those conditions we put around the land clearing, um, are above reproach. So they're not appealable. And that's what we're really trying to get to. Uh, speaking to someone in the rangelands, the question that sprung to their mind for you was they were interested to know how you might 
have to handle some of the conflicts of interest yeah, with, with the various hats that you have and have had. Yeah, and and I guess um, that that's a really fair question. And we, because we have such a, a robust board process and 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 our governance is quite strong, and we declare all of our interests, and 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 there may be times that I will need to to remove myself step out of the room from from those conversations. Yep. And and I'll, I'll be the first to put my hand up when those do occur. Um, I think. In my previous experience, and and I've been on this this program representing the forestry industry, whilst also being the, the the chief executive of NT Farmers and representing the cotton industry. So I've often had to balance conflicting priorities, and and I think the only way you can do that is through honesty um, and through transparency. And I, I I can guarantee that that every single person on that board, including myself, um, we declare our 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 interests. Um, we maintain a very strong register um, and, and we are prepared f- for those situations because the Northern Territory and Northern Australia more generally, we're a pretty small community. So it's really hard not to at some point have a conflict in what you're doing. Taking on this role, what's your hopes for the Pastoral Land Board? Um, I was really excited to take this role on, Matt. I want to stay involved in the industry um, the industry, the ag industry and, and North Australia is my life. Um, it's what I'm really passionate about. And I think that I can bring to the table a really balanced approach. Um, I think I've always said that the development needs to be sustainable. Um, it needs to be responsible above all th- other things. And I think I can bring that. And, and I'm really hoping in my chairmanship that we'll be a lot more open and a lot more engaged um, when we are making decisions. And I think that's, that's going to be really important. Because a lot of the time the decision's made and, and you know, it may be appealed and, and there's been a lot of media coverage. And I think we also have a role in that discussion. Because mm. so, often a lot of the coverage, we never hear why the decision was made in the first place and the reasons why PLB felt it was okay. Yeah, and, and, mm. and I think that that's an area that I do want to bring is, is a lot more available and a lot more transparent. And, and when I took the role on, I did ring all of the stakeholders that you would expect that, that may engage with the pastoral land board, um, whether that be the pastoral sector, the environmental sector, or traditional owners. So I've spoken to all of those organisations and said, I'm here. If you need to talk, um, I'm here to, here to listen. A big job. All the best. And speak to you in the new year. Thanks, Matt. And thanks, listeners. That is Paul Burke, who is the new chair of the Northern Territory's Pastoral Land Board. On the text line 0487991057, someone here says, Matt, if cotton doesn't use water, why is Cubby Station got dams that hold more water than Sydney Harbour and are at the head of the Murray-Darling system? Yes, Cubby Station irrigates cotton. Other farms in the region don't. They do dry land as well. And Greg, and perhaps says, the economics of the cotton gin don't stack up, according to Greg. The level of farmed land to grow cotton will need to exceed 350,000 hectares, according to Greg, if it's to come close to the 150,000 capacity. For that to occur, dry land cropping at one to three bales per hectare won't cut it, and irrigation will create water use challenges. 70 million bucks of wasted money, reckons Greg, this afternoon on 0487 991057. Now, just back to the big news today. The Northern Territory's Chief Minister, Natasha Files, is expected to hold a press conference within the hour, according to ABC News, to announce her resignation as leader of the Territory Labor Party. This 
comes after growing pressure on the chief minister after it was revealed that she held undisclosed shares in the mining company South 32. Now, the federal Green Senator Sarah Hanson-Young has just held a press conference in Adelaide and shared her thoughts on what's happening. Let's have a listen. The chief minister goes today. So should the Barossa gas project. So should Middle Arm and so should Beedaloo. These are fossil fuel-led projects that are going to make our climate crisis worse, that are not supported by their local, the local communities, and that we know involve a serious litany of conflicts of interest. Over and over again, we have seen stories and reports of politicians doing more to help their fossil fuel mates than looking after the communities they are elected to represent. And this, of course, is leading to a worsening climate and a more damaged environment. Whoever becomes Chief Minister after Ms Files resigns later today should dump the Beedaloo Basin projects, should scrap Middle Arm. And the federal government should immediately scrap any public subsidies still on the books. And it is just appalling that Australian taxpayers are already being committed to fork out $1.5 billion for the Middle Arm project in uh, the Northern Territory. And it's why uh, earlier this year the Greens established a Senate inquiry directly into Middle Arm. We will be going up to the NT and visiting Darwin in the new year and I will be calling, as chair of that committee, I will be calling Natasha Files to front the hearing and to give evidence under oath. And it's not good enough for politicians to do the bidding of the gas and miners at the expense of their community uh, and then just say, oh, nothing to see here. That is Greens Senator Sarah Hanson-Young. It is the story of the day, as I mentioned. The ABC understands that the Chief Minister, Natasha Files, will announce her resignation within the next hour or so. And as I've said before, when that does happen, when Natasha Files steps up to that microphone, it will be broadcast on your ABC, the national broadcaster. Let's go to the newsroom. See you back here in five minutes for a chat with the Weather Bureau. I'm Emily Hoffman. And I love chasing chunky skinks in the top end. And you are listening to the Country Hour. Matt Brown with you this afternoon. In a moment, we'll take a look at why Australia's food safety regulator is cracking down on the term no added sugar. Many of these packaged foods and drinks carrying these claims currently actually are high in sugar, which is linked to dental problems as well as diet-related health problems. Yep, no added sugar. That term, going in the bin. We'll talk more about that soon and, of course, keeping you up to date on the big news this afternoon. The ABC understands Chief Minister Natasha Files set to hold a press conference in the next hour or so to announce her resignation. That is big news this afternoon. That press conference will be broadcast on the ABC. Don't you worry about that. Uh, Earlier on, we heard from Paul Burke, the new chair of the Pastoral Land Board. 
Alan Humpty Doo says, Matt, I'm getting sick of listening to ignorant, whinging flogs going on and on about cotton. They wouldn't even know what NPK is. Go and wear nylon and plastics, reckons Al in Humpty Doo. I read out a message earlier from someone, Greg I think it was, talking about how he thinks the cotton industry will need to exceed 350,000 hectares if it wants to make it worthwhile having that gin. Um, Industry on Friday told us that they're planting around 15,000 hectares this season. The majority of it will be dryland cotton and industry is hopeful of getting Around, what, 60,000 to 70,000 bales if the wet season treats it kindly. We'll wait and see. And if you missed our coverage from the official opening of the NT's first ever cotton gin, uh, that is all up on our website this afternoon if you search for NT Country Hour. You can check out some photos, listen to some interviews. It's all there on the website. Let's go to the Weather Bureau. Sally Cutter is there this afternoon. Uh, Sally X, Tropical Cyclone Jasper. Where is that system? Uh, It's basically dissipated. There is a very weak circulation in the eastern gulf, northern parts of the southeastern gulf, but it's it's pretty weak. It shouldn't be doing much. There's a bit of a trough lying back over the the top, or it goes through to, to Elliott Way. So that's linked up and that there's a bit of a ridge developing between the trough that's moved through the southern parts of the Territory and that, and so that's going to be pushing up over the top end. So we'll see showers and storms increase over the top end, but we're really not expecting anything to happen in the Gulf. Okay. How are things faring over in far north Queensland? We're about to hear from a cattle producer over there. Are they getting a little bit of blue sky now or what? Yeah, there's a bit of blue sky. There's still some cloud around. Most of the convections are north of, I think, it, is it Princess Charlotte Bay? The, the You get the, the lump on the eastern cave, side of Cape York and then it dips in a little bit and that's about where the storms are at the moment, just north of that. So there is still some cloud down towards to Cairns Way, but it's certainly not the big storms that we have been seeing down through there. Okay, and... In terms of rainfall for the Northern Territory, I mean, there's been a little bit in the last 24 hours to 9 o'clock. What are some of the best figures? Uh, the best one is Bullman with 39.4. They did have a line go over them this morning. Adelaide River, Dirty Lagoon, 33.5. The Daly River Police Station, 14.5. Marakai Crossing on the Adelaide River, 13 millimetres. Nooka, 11.2. Wangalara, 8.5. Jabri and Upper Catherine River both got 7 millimetres. Mount Nankar, 6. Dildren Hill, 5.5. Central Arnhem Plateau. 4.4 to then then you're getting down into to fly spec 3.5 and Tipperary had 3.4 okay. yeah we're getting pretty small totals now okay and for the rest of this week what can people expect in terms of rainfall well, we could see those showers and storms. The, they're going to be moving, so we're unlikely to see really big totals. The probably best day for or worst day for gustiness will be Friday. The so the and that's as we, that ridge sort of strengthens a little bit. The and then most is 
predominantly going to be north and western top end and easing off in the to the south eastern top end. So the, the it's going to be the usual areas, the northern western parts of the top end, Daly District, Northern Arnhem, that are going to see those showers and storms. We could also see them as far south as the Barrow Creekway. The, they will be clearing northwards, but Friday they're going to redevelop down the western border as the next trough develops down through there, and then they'll move across with another change coming through Saturday, Sunday. Mm-hmm. Gee, it's hot. It's hot in parts yeah. of the territory at the moment. Yeah. Um, yeah. Looks I, I like. Think hot isn't, yeah. Yeah, hot's an understatement. <laughs> Fair. Fair yeah. enough. Have you got any good news for people in terms of a of a cool change on the horizon? Uh, there's a little bit of a cool change today going through Alice, but it's only going to take temperatures down to average, the, and then they're going to warm up again as, at the end of the week. Might be another little bit of a cool change Sunday, but yeah, but not, in the north, yeah, north yeah. we've got 27 dew points, and we, we just need to stop the winds coming off the Timor Sea. I'm just looking at the forecast for Tennant Creek. Christmas Eve, Sunday a top of 45 degrees in Tennant Creek. And Christmas Day, slightly cooler at 43 degrees on Christmas Day. That's uh, decent. Yeah, and the the other commonly hot place, Timber Creek, 44 tomorrow, 44 for Christmas Eve, Monday, 46. 46 on Christmas Day in Timber Creek. Yeah, with, with a low of 29. In the morning, so 29 to 46 on Christmas Day. In the other famous creek, Pine Creek, we'll be having a Christmas Day temperature top of 39 with a possible storm. Ooh, this is warm stuff. Yep. You've got me intrigued now about Christmas Day. Woolagring Cattle Station, 41 degrees on Christmas Day out there in the Gulf Country. And let's have a look at you and Demu, 39 degrees there on Christmas Day. Yeah, hot. All right, then. Thanks so much for your time, Sally. That's okay. Cheers. Enjoy a feast of movies for free on ABC iView. From Colin Firth and Geoffrey Rush in The King's Speech. At last, sir, here's your speech. You are on air at six. To Dame Judi Dench in Red Joan. I am not... A spy. Plus Carol, Boy, Empire Records, Burlesque and so many more. A feast of delicious movies all summer long. Bon appétit. Streaming free and ad-free on ABC iView. Yeah, let's head over to far north Queensland. There's still a few storms and rain over there this afternoon. And local cattle producers say the wet weather combined with cold and windy conditions has meant a lot of livestock have died because of exposure. Grazier Joy Marriott runs cattle to the southwest of Cooktown. She spoke to Amy Phillips just a moment ago. We've probably got a 20 kilometre hour wind coming from the northeast, shifting back to the east. And um, yeah, it's, we've had a clear morning, not not clear skies, overcast, but at least you can see the hills. And um, But yeah, it started to rain again and looks pretty heavy. Hmm. Is that making you feel nervous, Joy? Oh, yeah, we're pretty resigned now. We're um, starting to lose cattle from the exposure and... Yeah, yesterday was sort of if it had it cleared up, we might have pulled through. But, yeah, the people are losing stuff. And the, when you see, you know, unprecedented amounts of native animals just dying from the exposure, you know, there's dead possums falling out of trees and and the wallabies and the big old eastern greys. And, yeah, it just makes you sad. 
You've had a phenomenal amount of rain, Joy. Uh, have you been able to measure it all? Yes. Yes, we've had 863 mil from the start. Just before it started raining, we had a gigantic bushfire coming in from the conservation areas next door up in the mountains and we were sort of focused on fighting fires and um, then it started to rain and, like, you know, where everyone's happy that, that the fires are out and we don't, we've been fighting fires for four, four months now on and off and um, glad to see the rain and, um, yeah, well, that's just life on the land. It, it's pretty harsh, but... Mm, just hoping there's not worse to come. Livestock losses, uh, I imagine, weigh heavily on you. What about infrastructure losses? Oh, yeah, we you can replace them. Some of the walls have, have um, been washed through and obviously floodgates, but as I said, that's not a problem. And, and of course, roads washed out. And Yeah, we, nearly, we actually nearly got got washed off one of our dam overflows the other day in the buggy, so we're sort of a bit wary about going anywhere until it all, um, you know, subsides. Yeah, which, as you say, as of uh, lunchtime today, it very much is not over. You've still got uh, wind and rain there. The Lakeland community is a productive ag hotspot. How are others in your community going? How are banana farmers faring? Yeah, well, any, anyone who's got livestock, um, yeah, they're the same. And 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 we we're, we're up in the mountains at the head of the catchment, so we're probably faring a bit better than people, you know, on the river flats and further down where there's been flooding. And I was talking to one of the growers the other day, yesterday morning, I think it was, and they reckon they'd lost about twenty thousand plants. But obviously, with the prolonged prolonged wet soil there's going to be more they just fall over you know and and with this wind it's just really it's not 20 k's are not really strong but just relentless and um i've been here 30 something years and one year you know we had a drought break in sort of end of january and it rained for two weeks but it was warm it wasn't um it wasn't cold like it's cold which is quite different usually a cyclone around it's that hot you can hardly move so another day of watching the rain come down. Are you all going to be okay? Well, we, you know, there's always positives. And, and um, yeah, we had a little baby donkey born last night and his dad's called Jasper, so we can't call him Jasper. He'll be Jasper Jr. <laughs> oh, that's very sweet. Congratulations. He's here and um, his mum made it through the, through the cyclone and thank goodness. And, yeah, she's all good and he's all good. And, yeah, we're happy to see that little fire. That is Joy Marriott, a grazier from Mountain View Station, which is to the southwest of Cooktown. Speaking there to Amy Phillips and her description of not just the cattle, but the native animals that are dying due to exposure there in far north Queensland. Just awful, just awful. Um, Stay up to date via the ABC News website and, of course, the ABC Rural website. It is 17 past one. This is the Country Hour, the top story today is that the ABC understands Chief Minister Natasha Files is set to announce her resignation within the hour, is the latest we have from the newsroom. Thoughts are coming through on the text and on the ABC Darwin Facebook page. Carol says, I think it's a real shame. Sure, she should have declared them, and that's in reference to the shares in South 32, but Carol says mistakes happen. 
it is not as if 2000 bucks worth of shares is going to rule your decisions. We are just making it really unattractive for decent people to get into politics, reckons Carol. The pay is not that great, considering you get blamed for everything, and most people do not understand it is one of the hardest thankless jobs. If we continue down this path, we will never have decent leaders, says Carol. And Mick says, the real story for me is why wouldn't she, as health minister, investigate the health concerns of Territorians who live right next door to the world's largest manganese mine, a mine that is owned by South 32. Independent MLA Mark Turner, who was expelled from the Labor Party in June, uh, he has spoken to the ABC's Jack Hislop about the story that is unfolding this afternoon. I certainly think it's the right thing to do, Jack. It's what I've been saying all along. The Cabinet handbook is clear on what must happen. Um, The only questions that I still have are around um, the original issues. Has Cabinet met? She's resigning, but what is she resigning for? And what do we need to clean up after this? You know, we don't know if decisions have been made that shouldn't have been made, if there's been any further impropriety. Um, And it's why we need transparency on this to, to actually get to the bottom of what's occurred. Do you feel vindicated? I mean, you're the one that, you know, before the opposition came out and, you know, raised some of these issues to give it a bit of... Um Put a bit of oomph behind it. Uh, how do you feel about it personally? Um, that's a really good question. I don't know. Um, I'm not after people's scouts. I'm not after a personal vendetta. I don't. I don't do things that way. Um, I just want government to be clean and straight. And that's what I found most, most frustrating in all of this. That we've got a rule book for a reason. And it's where people are left feeling in the position of it's one rule for us and one rule for them. Um, you know, I've got constituents that have been dealt with uh, making comments at work that are much less than what politicians do. Yet they've been seriously disciplined through the public service. So hopefully this may restore some balance. Um, but until we actually get transparent government in the Northern Territory. Um, I'm just going to keep on doing what I'm doing. That is the member for Blaine, Mark Turner, speaking to Jack Hislop. When the Chief Minister, Natasha File steps up to the microphone this afternoon, it will be broadcast here on the ABC. It is 20 past one. Now, high sugar foods and drinks will no longer be able to use the term no added sugar on their packaging, following changes to Australia's Food Standards Code. The food safety regulator for Zans has decided to crack down on packaged products using this term and they'll now be required to show the total sugars in the product, including sugar that is naturally present in the food and sugar that's been added as an ingredient. Food for Health Alliance Executive Manager Jane Martin says the changes will provide more accurate health information to consumers, especially children. There's been an agreement around a variation to the Food Standards Code that will see packaged foods and beverages that are high in sugar unable to carry a no added sugar claim. So what this means is that high sugar foods, including some baby and toddler foods and fruit juices, for example, won't be able to carry no added sugar claims on their packaging. 
So why were these changes to the code suggested and why do you think that they're needed? Well, these sorts of claims are quite powerful. We've done some data which found that 92% of Australians agree that no added sugar claims suggest a product is better for you. So um, they can create a health halo conveying to people when they're shopping and looking at these products that they might be better for you. But many of these packaged foods and drinks carrying these claims currently actually are high in sugar, which is linked to dental problems as well as diet-related health problems, including an increasing risk of overweight and obesity, um, leading to chronic diseases like heart disease, type 2 diabetes and some cancer. So clear information on packaged foods that's accurate um, without misleading consumers around things like no added sugar on high sugar products is really important. It will provide clearer, uh, more accurate information to shoppers and it will mean that high sugar foods can't carry a claim that, you know, when they are high on sugar, they can't carry a claim that they contain no added sugar. So really it's around the higher sugar products that there will be more clarity uh, for the consumer. Do you think that this could make way for an increased use of some of the more controversial sweeteners? Are there any general health concerns around sweeteners? Well, I think what's most likely is that those claims will come off higher sugar products. So there's not really an incentive to reformulate given that it's likely you'll be able to you know, get below the threshold uh, potentially. So you may see some of those artificial sweeteners come in, but I imagine it's not going to be uh, a great deal. But certainly um, if sugars are reduced, they may lead, it may lead to more of these um, artificial sweeteners being used. The Food and Agriculture Organisation released its roadmap for healthy and sustainable food production. And the document has said that marketing for high sugar and ultra processed foods should be curbed. And they've suggested policymakers should look at changing the way taxes and subsidies are used in order to promote healthy choices. What do you think of some of these recommendations? Well, these recommendations are very much aligned with uh, the recommendations to prevent overweight and obesity, particularly in children. So uh, they're very much reflective of what appears in the National Preventative Health Strategy and the Australian National um, Obesity Strategy. Uh, and these are very much um, the same changes that you know we are calling for to support people to have healthier diets. So I think what we're seeing is a, a convergence between climate and sustainability and healthy diets, which is fantastic and understanding that these kinds of changes will help to uh, create demand for healthier food, create markets for healthier food um, and help to shift production uh, to healthier products. So really incentivising less processing of foods as they go through that um, chain. Two of the key levers that government has around um, food promotion is protecting children from unhealthy food marketing and that's certainly getting more attention um, in Australia with Sophie Scomp's private members bill. Um, but really the time for action is now and you'll get these um, twin benefits of improvements for um, sustainability and, and our climate but also improvements to health. So it's common sense and uh, we should be acting quickly, government should be acting quickly to make these changes. That is Jane Martin, who is the Executive Manager for Food for Health Alliance, and she was speaking there to Fiona Broom. So that term, no added sugar, is on its way out.
I don't know about you, but over the years you pick up a packet of whatever that's clearly junk food and at the front it says in big letters no added sugar and it's always seemed a bit strange and sure enough for Zan's has decided it doesn't make sense and is cracking down on the term. It will no longer be there. These companies will have to show the natural sugar and the added sugar when it comes to labelling on packages. Now, that's it for today's Country Hour. This afternoon, I think the news journos are gathering. The Chief Minister, Natasha Files, expected to hold a press conference within the hour, and that will be broadcast on the ABC. The expectation is she will be announcing her resignation, so stand by for that. Good afternoon. Thank you for coming at short notice. As you're aware, I've just returned from a family funeral interstate, and I'm now able to address the issues that were raised yesterday. As you know, I've held shares in BHP since I was a child, which were a gift from my late grandmother in 1985. In recent years, BHP has undertaken various mergers and demergers, and as a result, I have been issued with small shareholdings in some other companies. While I've always endeavoured to properly declare these holdings as they occurred, upon further review of my personal interests, it became clear that I did not declare one of these a small shareholding in a company called South 32, which came from a BHP demerger in 2015. That was an error. It was an error on my behalf, and I don't have any excuse for it. It was not deliberate, it was not intentional, but it's unacceptable. I can assure Territorians that no decision I've ever made has been influenced by that small shareholding. But high standards are expected from people holding high office, as they should be. And I also hold myself to high standards. While I did not intentionally fail to declare this interest, it is clear that I have failed to meet the standards that are set for us and the standards that I set for myself, and I'm not going to make any excuses for that. So for this reason, I believe the honourable course of action is to resign as Chief Minister. I care too much about the Territory, I care too much about our government and what it's achieved to allow my personal mistake to impact on our progress. There's no point dragging it out, I made a mistake. There is no excuse for that, I'm owning up to it, I accept the consequences of it. That's the right thing to do. So on Thursday, I will officially resign my commission as Chief Minister of the Northern Territory, as well as my other ministerial portfolios. And after a short break in the new year, I will return as a fierce and forceful member of the Territory Labor team. I'll be back to my first job in politics, my first love in politics, serving my amazing electorate. So I'm excited at the opportunity to be a full-time local member, and I absolutely commit to running for Nightcliff in next year's election. I'm proud of what our government has achieved, but I know we have much more to do, and I'll be an energetic campaigner for Territory Labor under new leadership. So yesterday afternoon, we farewelled my father-in-law. It reminded me that life is well lived when it has ups and downs that can be shared with the ones you love the most. So last night, when I told my boys of my decision, a big smile crept across Henry's face. He thinks it's an early Christmas present, getting his mum back. So spending more time with Paul, Ollie and Henry, life's greatest gifts, is what's important to me. It's been an absolute honour to serve as Chief Minister of the Northern Territory. Thank you to the amazing staff that have cared for me, to the public service that work hard each and every day. 
to my colleagues, to the union movement, to the broader labour movement, and to all Territorians for your support. But now it's farewell, and I'll see you in 2024.